Well, we've been working our way through the big story of the Bible over the summer, and we've got to uh, the, uh, the, the story of the resurrection, and we're going to think about that today, and David is going to come and read for us John chapter 20 from verse 24 uh, to the end of the chapter. So John chapter 20, 24 to the end of the chapter. Thank you, Nigel. Um, yeah, as Nigel said, we're going to read uh, this portion from God's Word. And the context is that Jesus has already appeared to the disciples previously, but Thomas wasn't there. And we know this part of the Scriptures very well, but it's always good to, to, to read it again and to refresh ourselves and to, to pray that God will speak to us from this part of His Word. We remember that this is the living Word of the living God and is completely trustworthy. So let's read that together starting from verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. Well, you might, have, uh, you might find it useful to have a Bible open around uh, John chapter 20, those verses that we read at the end of that chapter as Jesus appears to Thomas. It, it does seem a little bit strange, doesn't it, that here at the end of the summer we're thinking about the resurrection. Uh, it doesn't seem to sort of fit with this time of year. And yet, actually, when I thought about that, that's a problem, isn't it? Because uh, in the Bible, the resurrection is something that's not just relegated to one time of the year, but it's something that pervades the whole New Testament and very much uh, underlined the proclamation of the church and, and was very much part of the story that the, the church was bringing to the nations. So, so, for example, whenever the apostles are before the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 5, this is what they say, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So, that's pretty much a typical summary of the message that the apostles preached. So, in other words, they speak of the, the crucifixion. Jesus was hung on a tree. 
It speaks of the resurrection, God raised him from the dead, and it speaks of the ascension, Jesus being exalted to God's right hand. And it speaks of the witnesses to these facts, as verse 32 says. So crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, all of this witnessed. That, that was pretty much the common element, uh, the common elements of the disciples preaching as they went out into the world. And, and so it would seem today that, that maybe uh, the message of the church to the world today isn't quite as balanced as the early church had because the resurrection doesn't figure just as highly. So, very appropriate then that today we would look at the story of Jesus appearing to Thomas and thinking what that means for us. This is part, of course, as we said, of our big sweep through uh, the story of the Bible. We've seen that God has created us to be His people, to be in His place under His rule and blessing. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And we've turned away from that in the story of the Bible, and we've sought to be our own gods and to make our own rules. But right at the beginning of that turning away, God promised that one would come to put right all that we put wrong. And eventually we saw, a couple of weeks ago now, that Jesus the King came. We also saw that He died last week, because that's how God would deal with the sins of His people so that we could be with Him again. We could be in His place again and be under His rule and blessing. And today, we're looking at the fact that His King, Jesus, did not stay dead, but rose and is alive forevermore. And we're looking at this most famous of resurrection stories uh, of Jesus appearing to Thomas. Now, uh, we don't hear all that much about Thomas in the Gospels before this. First time we read of him in any significant way is whenever Jesus announces his intention to go to visit Martha and Mary, whose brother Lazarus was sick and, and actually then had died. And they lived in Bethany, just a few miles from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was very much at that time, this was late on in Jesus' ministry, and Jerusalem was the very focus of opposition to Jesus. And so, in going close to Jerusalem, the disciples knew that Jesus was taking quite a risk. And Thomas pipes up in that context with a sort of resigned loyalty. Let us go also that we may die with him. So you can see Thomas is not exactly an optimist when it comes to these sorts of things. So there's a loyalty to Jesus. There's no question about that. But he certainly seemed to see what the problems were. The next time we see of Thomas in the Gospels is at the Last Supper, where Jesus shares these wonderful words, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. And then Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? To which Jesus replies, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So, so here we see he's prepared to speak his mind when he doesn't understand, which of course is a good thing. But he's not very imaginative as far as faith was concerned. Maybe he's, he's by nature a little bit skeptical. He's, he's difficult to convince. It's maybe a little bit risky to make suggestions about somebody's character on the basis of just a couple of incidents, but, but those are the incidents that, that we have in the life of Thomas until we get to this incident, and we see God dealing with him in a remarkable way and a, a, a remarkable transformation taking place in his life. Now, three words that we've used to look at this passage before, <clears throat> skeptic, 
servant and sign, skeptic, servant, and sign. Whenever I get three good titles, you can be pretty sure they're not mine. They're from somebody else. So Kevin DeYoung uh, uses those, and uh, I, I think every time I come to this passage, I think I can't do any better than that. Skeptic, servant, and sign. So Thomas, first of all, begins as a skeptic. Uh, doubt is a big issue, isn't it, for lots and lots of people, and it comes for all sorts of different reasons. And with Thomas, it comes after a terrible disappointment. The Jesus that he had believed in had not delivered in the way that he had expected him to. And so he's terribly disappointed in the way that things have turned out with Jesus. He's invested heavily with Jesus, as of all the disciples. He spent years of his life with him. He's come through remarkable experiences. So he was in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. He was there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. He, he gathered up the leftovers after he fed the 5,000. And, and like the other disciples, he had come uh, maybe gradually to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, God's anointed one. But he didn't seem to have, like the other disciples, he didn't seem to have much of a grasp that Jesus was the suffering Messiah. And so he, he just didn't hear whenever Jesus had warned of his impending death and resurrection. Perhaps he thought that whenever Jesus was arrested, he would do something spectacular and confound all his enemies. And, and when he was nailed to a cross and breathed his last, Thomas's hopes were just dashed. So when the other disciples tell him that Jesus has appeared to them when they were there in the upper room and he wasn't there, he just doesn't believe them. It's interesting that he's not with them. I don't know how that happened. We, we might imagine that he just is starting to sort of quietly drift to the edge of things. And he sort of said to himself, that's it. He, he's... he's He's saying there's no point, it's, it's all over. Isn't that what we're tempted to do sometimes in the wake of disappointment, in, in the wake of, of something that leads us to doubt? We, we want to isolate ourselves from others sometimes. We, we, we sometimes even find the confident hope of others irritating or maybe even intimidating. And so it's, it's easier if we're not there. And, and this is one of the things that, that I've really been thinking about recently, and, and in a sense, it's, it's come up in this passage and given us the opportunity to, to say this and to explore this a little bit. But our, our appetite for being with the people of God is a really important indicator of what's going on in our hearts. It, it, it says things to us about where we are that maybe we've not even begun to admit to ourselves or to think through. So, so whenever we have the opportunity to be together a little bit more often in church over the next while, what does your heart say? If you find yourself saying, great, I really know that I need to be with God's people week by week. Well, that's a really good sign, isn't it? But do you know, if, if, if you think, if you find yourself thinking, do you know what? I quite like just dropping in now and again and, and not really anybody knowing whether I'm here or not and, and all of those sorts of things. I'm not really sure I want to go back to, to being here every week. Well, you know, that's a, 
That's an indicator of something that's going on in your heart. It's, a, it's an indicator of a problem in our relation of, uh, relationship with God. We, we, we kid ourselves if we think that we can be close to Jesus and distant from his people. We just can't. And, and Thomas is a great picture here for us of a really basic and a really important truth. And that is that primarily where we meet Jesus is amongst his people. We, we know all the great stories of Martin Luther, the, the, the great hero of the Reformation who, who stood and defied councils and, and, and uh, was courageous and so on, but he was also a, a wise pastor. And uh, once he was talking to someone who was struggling with doubt. And, and what would you expect Luther to say to someone who was in a situation like that? We might expect him to say, well, you know, you've got to spend more time reading the Bible. You've got to, you've got to pray more. But actually where Luther started with him was to say, you, you really must attend church and take the sacraments. Uh, Luther prized uh, the, the Lord's Supper uh, uh, very much. And, and he said, this is really, this is the, the, the antidote, in a sense, to your doubting heart. Of course, reading the Bible and prayer is important, but the, primarily the, the, the medicine for the, the man who was struggling with doubt was, was the people of God, was the, the corporate worship of the people of God, because primarily where we meet Jesus is among his people. And it doesn't maybe feel great to be amongst his people at the moment, but it is where we meet the Lord. Well, whenever, we, whenever Thomas is, is told about what happens, he is resolute in his unbelief. You see, he lays down a number of conditions. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. So the language he uses is really, really strong. It, it can be translated, I'll never believe it. He knows that these other men, he knows that the, the woman that Jesus has appeared to, and, and yet he, he doesn't take it from them. He must see it for himself. He's, he's a skeptic. And, and maybe we think, you know, he, he's a bit of a, a saint for the modern age. We find it easy to identify with him. Maybe we admire him. Our culture sort of values skepticism, doesn't it? You take everything with a pinch of salt. You, there's always another side to the story and so on. And, and, and maybe we think Thomas is a bit of a hero. But, but do you know what? Jesus is not comfortable with where Thomas is. It's something we've got to, to understand. Jesus doesn't want him to remain a skeptic, a doubter, a, an unbeliever, even an agnostic. He, Jesus has plans to change that for Thomas. And so that brings us to our, our next little heading, Thomas not the skeptic now, but the servant, because he becomes a worshiper. The next week, he's with the other disciples. So he's not totally given up hope, and he's continuing to meet with the brothers. And, and here's another really important insight into this whole uh, issue of being with God's people. Because when we're struggling, as we sort of hinted at earlier, the temptation is to withdraw until we've sorted ourselves out. I, I know that that's what goes on with us. But so often, as we've said, the medicine is to be in the midst of other believers. It was here with Thomas. And so, if you find yourself 
in a position where you're struggling, where you're doubting, where you're, 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 you're compromised, whatever it might be, if you're, if you're struggling, the place to work that through is actually here. It's with God's people. So, so although your heart will tell you otherwise, really important, don't separate yourself. And, and, and here's the other thing. Thomas made that decision, but also he felt able to be in the midst of his brothers while he was struggling. Isn't that really interesting? So, so some of the church communities that we create are not welcoming places for the struggler. But they should be. You know, you, you want to be part of a place, don't you? Where, where, where if you find yourself in a, in a difficult place like Thomas did, where he's saying, I just can't believe it. I just won't believe it. I'm really struggling to believe it where others are effectively saying to you, well, look, carry on with us. Continue to hang out with us. We love you. We'll welcome you. You're part of this, even as you go through this difficult time. It's a beautiful picture of a Christian community. Well, into this community, Jesus appears. The doors are locked, and yet there he is. And he knows exactly what Thomas's demands have been, and so he says, uh, verse 26, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's really, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Now, it's not actually clear if Thomas does what Jesus says and puts his hand into Jesus' side. I don't know what you think about that, but in this part of John's gospel, there's quite an emphasis on seeing and believing. So, it may well be that Jesus, that Thomas says what he says without touching Jesus. But what he says is certainly highly significant. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. You're my Lord and you're my God. He ascribes to, to Jesus the status of divinity. And Jesus doesn't protest. He, he doesn't say, oh, that, well, actually, that's a bit too much Thomas. Every other time in the Bible, a Jew is treated as God, they protest. And actually, the surrounding culture wouldn't have objected about that entirely. There were Caesars and, 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 and rulers setting themselves up as divine all the time. But every time a, a Jew is treated as God, they protest. So, in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are in this strand, and the people there think they are gods. And, and Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes and they say, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. And that, that's the right and the normal response, you see, when a mere man is called God. But, but Jesus, the archetypal Jew, he takes it. Why? Because it was absolutely right. He is the God-man. Now, how does Thomas get to this stage? How does he go from a week ago saying, I won't believe it, to now actually leapfrogging the other disciples in faith and saying, my Lord and my God? He's, he's really gone ahead of them. He's made tremendous progress. Don Carson suggests that he has reflected on what he heard 
in John chapter 14, when he's at the upper room, when Jesus had said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And Thomas has said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he went on to say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, none of the other disciples pick that up. In fact, none of the disciples at all pick that up at that point. They, they don't understand. But Carson suggests, I think maybe he's right, that, that, that Thomas is, is thinking about it. What, what, what could that mean? What, what was it that Jesus said there? How could he claim to, that to see him is to see the Father? Is he saying he's like God? No, 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 that can't be it. Is he saying that he and the Father are, are one, that he is God? Maybe, maybe that's it. And you see, he's become a worshiper. He's, he's turned the words of Jesus over in his head through the week. And, and now from a position of, of, of doubt and unbelief, he, he really is leading the way in an understanding of who Jesus is. You see, if, if, you're, if you're listening to this, if you're here, or you're listening to this, and you're crippled by doubt, do you know that there's real hope for you? Next week, next week you could be helping others to believe. And if, if you're to get from where you are now and you're struggling to that position of actually helping others confident in your faith, you need to do what, what Thomas did. You need to turn the, the words of Jesus over in your head and you need to be doing that in the midst of God's people. Well, Jesus is not finished with Thomas, even though he's now a worshiping servant, because if he had finished with him there, we would be justified in saying, well, why can't we have that experience? Why can't I queue up and meet the risen Jesus? That would help me. And Jesus knows that that's not going to happen after the ascension. So, so he points out that Thomas is also a sign, one who can point others to Jesus. You see, verse 9, because you have seen me, or sorry, 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So, how it was with Thomas is actually not how it's going to be with us. We are those who will not see, whom Jesus calls blessed, and who believe. So, we, 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 how do we do that? Well, we read on from verse 30. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, John tells us, you see, about Jesus appearing to Thomas, and then he says, now, here's one of the stories that I have told you so that you would believe. In other words, we are to believe the witness of those who were there. That's how we believe. And we might think, well, that's not good enough for me. I need to see for myself. But actually, there's, as we said to the boys and girls, there's lots that we believe that we take on trust from others. It was John Stott that's got a great illustration of this. You, you know that John Stott was a great bird watcher, and he, he traveled all over the world uh, in order to uh, to see and to photograph birds, including he went to uh, Antarctica. And there was one bird in Antarctica, the snowy petrel, um, and he had heard about it 
because others had seen it. And eventually he traveled there and he got to see it himself. And he didn't doubt that he existed. He didn't doubt that it existed until he had seen it. He had heard from reliable people who had seen it for themselves. He, he believed them. And it was later confirmed by his own sighting. But he didn't believe in its existence any more strongly after he had seen it than he did before. The only thing that had changed was that he'd seen it for himself. He was a believer in that bird, as it were, before and after. And that's how it is for us. We, we're to believe the eyewitnesses who tell us about this Jesus. We're to determine, are they reliable? And if they are, then we're to trust them. And in trusting them, we come to meet the one that they tell us about. So if we're to believe, therefore, we're to, we're to read this book. If we're to be interested in finding out more, we're to read this book. If we have friends who want to believe or we want to see believe, then we help them to engage with this book and its message. And if we struggle at times to believe, then we engage with this message because it is how faith comes. Faith comes through hearing the Word of God. And the point is that we would, like Thomas, get to that place where we say today and every day of Jesus, my Lord and my God, that's how I'm going to live today. I'm going to live my life with you as my Lord and my God. So Thomas moves from a skeptic to a servant, and for us, he is a sign. Well, we've been journeying our way through the Scriptures. We've seen that the King has come. We've seen that the King has died. Now we've seen that the King has risen. But God's people are not yet fully in God's place. They're not fully under God's rule and blessing. We know that that's not fully our experience, no matter how long we've been a Christian. But that does lie ahead of us. And we're going to see that next week as we finish our journey in Revelation. Well, for now, let's pray. And maybe one of the stewards would let the boys and girls know that we'll be bringing them back in a minute or two. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you have given us your word that we might believe. We thank you that we have stories like those of Thomas with whom we so easily identify. We find ourselves doubting at times. We find ourselves not in the midst of God's people. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will help us to bring to you our struggles and to do so with our brothers and sisters. And help us, Lord, to so hear your word that the cry of our hearts is of Jesus, my Lord and my God. Father, as we pray that for ourselves today, we pray for our world. We continue to pray for those places where we look and we see grievous things, and how much more must that be the case as you look upon our world? 
Lord, we continue to ask you for Afghanistan. We pray, Lord, for families that have been dreadfully bereaved this week through violence. We pray, Lord, for people, for men and women and boys and girls who are living today in fear in Afghanistan because they are terrified of what the ruling Taliban may do to them. And we pray especially for our brothers and sisters who own the name of Jesus and many of whom are testifying that though it is difficult, they will stay in that place because they know that God is in control and has work for them to do. Lord, we're humbled by what we hear and we pray, Lord, that you'll protect your church and that it will continue to grow even in the midst of such trials. Lord, we pray for those Afghans who are now scattered across the world and seeking to build new lives. And we pray that many of them may come to know the Lord as Savior and God. Lord, we ask you for our own land. We continue to pray for uh, our government as they lead over these next weeks. We trust, Lord, that cases will begin to fall uh, of coronavirus in our area and in our land here, and that we'll be able to uh, take steps forward as a community. We want to pray, uh, Lord, for the return uh, of our schools just at the moment, and we ask that you will be with our teachers and all the staff and with our pupils as they get back into school again. Lord, will you bless Christian teachers within our schools? Will you bless leadership? Will you help in good decisions? And Lord, may there be much work of the Lord done Monday to Friday in our schools locally and across our land. We pray, Lord, for church as we make these adjustments next week and we begin to get more of the congregation through our church building. We pray that as we gather and as we worship, you might help us to lift high the name of Jesus and to feed deeply on him. Lord, we remember those today who are suffering. We pray for those that we know who are in hospital, those that we know who uh, have been bereaved, those who are struggling with one issue or another. We pray, Father, that you will be near to all who need you. Hear our prayers, Lord, for our own difficulties. Will you answer the things that we wake up with, the things that we go to bed with? And uh, Lord, will you come and, and work in ways that we, we can only attribute to the intervention of God? So hear our prayers, Lord, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.